Some of our thought patterns are good and healthy, but many of them are not. But through the power of Jesus Christ, our unhealthy and unholy thinking can be changed. This message is the 11th in the series, Remind. The message is entitled, From Childishness to Maturity, Part 2. Here is Pastor Dale O'Shields. Grab your Bibles, if you will, this morning, your teaching sheets as we continue our series of messages entitled Remind. I want to continue to talk to us this weekend, weekend excuse me, about moving from childishness to maturity. How do we do this in our life? We talked a bit about it last weekend. If you missed that message, let me encourage you to make sure that you get a copy of it. It's free online. You can just simply download the MP3 and catch up with where we were last weekend. We were talking about the fact that God changes our lives by changing the way that we think, and part of that involves moving from from childish thinking to mature thinking. Proverbs 4.23 is one of our theme verses. I'm going to ask you to read this together with me aloud and loudly. We're going to read from the New Century Version, so let's read together. Here we go. Be careful what you think because your thoughts run your life. Your thoughts represent the software, the operating system of your life. The Apostle Paul talks about the changing of our lives by the changing of our thinking. In Romans chapter 12, verse 2, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by how? By changing the way you, you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. The Bible says you can't really even discover the depth of God's will, the breadth of God's will for your life without a change in the way that you think. That is, we learn to think in a more holy and healthy way. Now, in your life at any point in time, as we've talked about, you're thinking about at least four things. As believers, as those who know God and recognize God at some point, I hope during your day you think about God. You have some thoughts of God. You're communing with Him. You think about yourself, what's going on with you. You think about other people, what's going on with them. You think about the stuff of your life, the responsibilities that you're dealing with. So four things, God, self, others, and stuff. Say it with me. God, self, others, and stuff. In your mind, all the time, these things are going on in some combination, in some form. Now, over time, what happens is you and I learn to think in certain ways about God, self, others, and stuff. We form thought patterns, thought patterns that are habitual. That is, you don't even think about what you're thinking about anymore. As we talked about last weekend, it's proven by, by your morning ritual. When you wake up in the morning, you don't think about what you're going to do. Your, your habits are already in place. And so every morning, you most likely kind of go through the same things you do every day. It's kind of a sequence of events that happen in your day. And you don't really think about it or process it. It's just what you do, habitual patterns. Your mind begins to set these, these structures for the way that you're going to live. And it's okay as long as those thought patterns are healthy and those thought patterns are holy, but many times those thought patterns are not so healthy and they're not so holy. And so what happens is that over a period of time, our mind has been skewed. It's been, it's been driven, if you will, and it continues to go down a pathway that, that is less than the best for us. And one of those pathways, or some of those pathways, I should say, are pathways that are really where we're stuck in childishness, that we're still kind of thinking in patterns that represent how a child thinks, a childish way of thinking, an adolescentish way of thinking. We haven't grown up. We haven't matured in certain dimensions of our thought patterns. The Apostle Paul talked about this in his own life in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 11. Listen to what he said. He said, when I was a child... I talked like a child, I thought like a child, I 
reasoned like a child. It's a mental activity. When I became a man, I, read the rest with me, I put childish ways behind me. Paul said there were some moments in his life where he recognized that he was talking like a child and thinking like a child and reasoning like a child, but he made a grown-up decision. The grown-up decision was, I'm going to put all of that stuff behind me. I am leaving childishness behind, and I am making a conscious decision to grow up. Can I ask you in your life, where are you still experiencing some childish ways of thinking, and where do you need to grow up? As we talked last weekend, you can't grow up without seeing those signs in your life. You can't grow up without understanding that childish thinking is going to create bad consequences for you. You're never going to grow up until you make a major life decision yourself like Paul did where he says, I'm growing up. I'm leaving childish things behind. God, restore me where I need to be restored and help me to mature. Now, based on what we talked about last weekend, Today I want to talk about three more things that are necessary if you're going to move from childishness to maturity in your thinking, if, you, if you're going to grow up. How many of you want to grow up in the way you think? I do. I want to move forward, okay? There are three things, three more things we'll look at today. First of all, we have to learn to repair the damage that our childishness has caused. Sometimes in life, whenever you have lived and thought in childish manners, you create problems, you create damage. You may not necessarily intend to create damage. Most of us don't go out every day intending to hurt people. But nevertheless, when you are behaving like a child in an adult world, what happens? People get hurt. And when people get hurt, if you don't respond the right way to the situation, what will occur is that not only will there be breakage in relationships, but there will also be baggage that you'll continue to carry in your life. And you're not always able to address all the baggage and all the hurt that your childish ways have caused, but part of what you want to learn to do is that when you find yourself being childish and you adjust yourself, then you not only need to think about you, but you also need to think about the people that have been affected by you and learning how to actually mend those relationships. By the way, after Easter, I'm going to do an entire 10-week series on relationships. How do we bring the best to our relationships? How do we learn how to build relationships God's way? But let me touch on that just a bit today. How has your childishness affected somebody else negatively, and what do you do when that happens? Let me share with you six things that will help you to keep this in mind and know what to do when your childishness impacts somebody else. And by the way, this happens to all of us, doesn't it? If you are in agreement this morning, has there been a time in your life when you've been a bit childish and it affected somebody else negatively? If that's you, would you just bob your head right now up and down, okay? All right, that's about half of you. For those of you that are not bobbing your head, would the neighbor turn around and bob their head for them, okay? Because it's true for everybody here, okay? So this is not a condemnation about anyone. It's a help for us to move forward. We all do it, okay? We all make these mistakes, right? Okay, so what do you do? First of all, you have to be sensitive to God's direction. What I mean by that is this. We need to get sensitive, more sensitive to, to times in our life when we know that God is talking to us about something that we've done that's affected somebody else. And the Holy Spirit can make you aware of that. Many years ago, probably 20 years ago now, I remember one very significant issue in my own life. 
I was praying one day, and as I was going through my prayer time, I was not really thinking about this particular person, but in the midst of my prayer, all of a sudden, this person's name came to my mind, and the Holy Spirit breathed to me and spoke to me and reminded me there in that moment, you are angry at that person. Well, I really didn't feel angry, and so I kind of started pushing it off and tried to justify a bit of it for a few moments. How do you know that God doesn't take your excuses, right? Okay. And I've also learned as well, when you try to argue with God, He always wins, right? God always wins because He's God. He knows what's right. And so I, I began this little dialogue with God, and, and God just reminds me, no, there's something in your heart that you need to address in this relationship. And so without really feeling a lot of it, I just began to pray and, and began to Walk, walk through that and God showed me some things in my heart that I'd held against that particular person and there in that moment in prayer uh, because of that sensitive moment to God I was able to bring forgiveness and release and wrote a letter to that person not mentioning this particular event but just acknowledging my love for them and there was a mending in a relationship that happened supernaturally because of the Holy Spirit's moment at work in my life how, how about you how many times do you miss opportunities to mend something because maybe a, a lack of sensitivity to the voice of the Holy Spirit saying, you know, it's not just a matter of making something right with me, God says, but you need to make something right with somebody else. The second thing is to accept responsibility, that when you know that you've done something wrong, it's been childish, accept responsibility for it. Admit failure. Don't, don't blame. Blame gets nowhere. And ask for forgiveness. When you're trying to mend a relationship with someone, the best thing to do, the worst thing to do, actually, let me say it, one of the worst things is to avoid it. The next worst thing is to go to them and say, you know what, I'm going to forgive you because of what you did to me. You really hurt me, but I'm going to forgive you. Because what you've done is you've taken the responsibility, and where did you put it? Over on them. Instead of simply approaching them and saying, you know how I responded to you a few minutes ago or how I responded to you last week or yesterday, you know, I realized that that was really childish and there's no excuse for it and it wasn't something you made me do. It was something that I did and I'm asking you, I admit that I did, and I'm asking you, would you forgive me? You know how hard that is for a lot of us to do, just to come out and say, would you please forgive me? Because we have this tendency to want to justify and rationalize why we do what we do. And God says, what I want to build in you is a spirit of humility, a spirit that actually is not worried about justifying why you do what you do, but mending relationships in your life. So simply to be sensitive to God and then to own the responsibility and to admit your failure and to ask for forgiveness. Would you forgive me for my childishness? I'll tell you one of the reasons this is important because when you say to someone else, would you forgive me for my childishness, it does two things. It reopens the, the, the bridge of communication, but it also reminds you, I don't want to be childish anymore. It's a good point of growth in your own life. The next thing that's necessary is to give some time, sometimes for the trust to be rebuilt. You know, if you've, it, it, let me illustrate it this way. I say that one of you were here and I it came up to the front here and, and I just laid into you with a big fist and hit you really, really hard and then say, oh, I'm sorry, please forgive me. Okay. And maybe the first time they would. And then I turned around like three minutes later and like, wham, hit him again. Oh, I'm sorry, please forgive me. You get the picture? When something has happened repeatedly, 
the more repeatedly something has happened, what's, what occurs in the, in the relationship? What's being drained from the relationship? Trust, right? And so when you finally get to a place that you want to restore, not only is there the acknowledgement, but there's also the rebuilding of trust that has to occur. And sometimes that takes a little bit of time in the process. The last one is to realize that not all attempts to make reconciliation with people will succeed. I've gone to people before and asked for forgiveness for things, and sometimes they, they don't forgive. That's their choice, by the way, but I do my part and trust God with everything else, right? You can't do somebody else's part for them, can you? You can only do your part in the relationship. So number one, what do you do? You fix the damage. Anytime you're childish, one of the things that will help you to grow up and change the way you think is by owning that situation and doing something about it in the moment that you recognize it. Number two, put a rein on your thoughts. That's the second thing that's necessary to move from childishness to maturity and thinking. Put a rein on your thoughts. Now, if you've ever ridden horses, you know that a rein, that's R-E-I-N, a rein is a very important piece of equipment. A rein is connected to a bridle and a bridle a bit in the horse's mouth. And what's always been amazing to me is it's relatively a very small piece of apparatus, including the, the, the bit, the bridle, and the rein. Very small in comparison to the size of the horse. This horse is this huge creature, massive muscles, and there you are popped up on the saddle of this huge animal, and now you have two little leather straps in your hand, and these two leather straps actually have the capacity, the power to direct that animal, all of those muscles and all that power in some particular positive direction. Without a rein or reins on a horse, what will a horse do? A horse is going to go its own way. And if you don't get on that horse with a sense of some level of authority, a sense that, you know what, I'm going to, if you will, I'm in charge here, okay? I'm going to help you to know where you need to go. I'm not saying that necessarily in a mean way, but simply in an authoritative way. You get on the horse, and the horse knows that you've got the reins. If that doesn't happen, the horse will simply trot off in any direction it so desires. And so reins are extremely important. Reins give direction to the journey, okay? Say it with me. Reins give direction to the journey. And the same is true with your mind. Your mind, left by itself, will go in all kind of directions, right? If you let your mind wander, guess what? It's going to wander into a lot of mess. It's going to wander over here and wander over there and wander all over the place and before long you're thinking things you never thought you would think and thinking about stuff that you shouldn't be thinking about and before long your mind has just gone all kind of places because you've brought no control upon it. And so God says, I want you to apply some reins. And I want you to envision with me this morning just for a few moments your mind, not so much your physical organ, your mind, but your thought processes. I want you to envision with me that we've now placed a couple of leather straps on your thinking, okay? And God says, I want to help you to learn how to control the way you think with some reins. And those reins are called self-control. That's what they're called, self-control. I hear a lot of times people say, well, I don't have any self-control. I just don't have much self-control. I want to debunk that just for a moment because as a Christian believer, you must understand that God has already given you something called self-control. 
You actually have it. You may not always use it, but you actually have access to power to bring about self-control. The Bible tells us about this in Galatians chapter, 20, chapter 5, verses 22 and 23. The Scripture says, The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control against such things there is no law. 2 Timothy 1, verse 7 says, For God did not give us a spirit of timidity or fear, but a spirit of power, of love, and self-discipline or self-control. So here's what I want you to see this morning, that if you are a Christian believer, that is, if you've invited Christ Jesus into your life, then the Holy Spirit lives inside of you, and the Spirit of God living in you provides you gifts, provides you fruit, provides you capabilities that you don't have by yourself. And one of those fruit of the Spirit is self-control. So if you say, I don't have self-control, in essence, you're saying, I don't have the Spirit, which is not true because as a believer, you do have the Spirit. You're the temple of the Holy Spirit. So, holy, so self-control resides in you because the Holy Spirit resides in you. So you must say, I have self-control because the Holy Spirit lives in me. Now, that doesn't mean you use it all the time, but you have access to the power of self-control. And self-control is self-monitoring. It's reaching up and putting the reins on your thinking, controlling your thoughts as they need to be controlled. So, so how do we, we do this in a, in a practical way? Let's take a look at some practical, practical steps that will help us to understand how to use our self-control, how to reign in our thinking. First of all, you have to sense the pull of your mind in the wrong direction. That's where you become sensitive again. When the mind, your thoughts are beginning to go in the wrong direction, you have to pay attention to that and realize, you know what, I'm wandering off here. My concentration, my focus is going in a way that it doesn't need to go. And so you're quick to recognize that. You see the attitudes and actions that show you that you're already heading down the wrong path. Let me show you something. One of the best ways to know where your thinking is, pay attention to this. One of the best ways to know what you're thinking, very easy. Listen to what you're saying. Listen to your mouth because your words reveal your thoughts. Pay attention to your, your emotions. What am I feeling? Because your feelings indicate what you're thinking. And pay attention to your behavior because your behavior shows what you're thinking. I mean, if you're going around cursing people out and saying all kind of bad, angry things, what's that telling you about what you're thinking? Your mind's gone somewhere, right? Whatever's coming out of your mouth, whatever is the emotion of your moment, whatever are the behaviors that are going on in your life at any given time, represent, those are symptoms of where your mind is. And so you become sensitive to where your mind is wandering and going and aware of your thoughts, your emotion, aware of your emotions, your words, and your behavior, giving you indication of where your thoughts are. Then thirdly, apply mental breaks. Apply mental what? Breaks. Circle the word apply and breaks. Say apply breaks. Say it with me. Apply breaks. Let's say I wanted to buy a car. I went to a car dealership. And I said, you know what? Mr. Salesperson, Miss Salesperson, I want to buy a car. I'm looking for a really good deal on a good car, but, but I'd like to have one that does not have an engine or has no brakes. Right? Now, that, you laugh because it's silly, right? You don't buy cars without an engine or brakes, right? Because the salesperson is going to say back, well, we don't sell cars like that, right? Every car we sell has an engine, and all of our cars have brakes. Now, there are other options, but engines and brakes are not optional, correct? They're not optional, okay? You know that for many people, 
when it comes to their thinking, they like have opted out of an engine and opted out of brakes. Some people never get their thinking started. There's no engine going on there, okay? If you're not using your brain, hey, crank it up. You'll be amazed what happens, okay? Start using your mind a little bit. There's a mind in there that God wants to use. And so you need to get the engine started and start using that mind that God has given. Get that engine going by reading and studying and stimulating your thought processes. Get the engine going. But it's not just enough to get your engine going. You also sometimes need some brakes. There are times that your engine is really moving you forward and there's a moment you've got to actually apply the brakes. Or we'll say it this way with the other metaphor. You pull back on the reins. You say, whoa, 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 I'm not, I'm not going there. I'm putting a stop to this way of thinking. Let me tell you something. When you say to your mind, I'm not thinking this way anymore, and you're firm about it, guess what? You can stop your thought processes. Did you know that? You can stop your mind from going places it shouldn't go by applying those brakes. The next thing you do after applying the brakes is you think about where is this kind of thinking going to lead me? If I keep down this pathway, this is going to be, this is going to be ugly. It's not going to be good for me to go down this pathway and remind yourself of what you really want. And what you really want is to what? Grow up. You want to grow up. You don't want to stay a child. This leads me to my last point today, third point. Redirect your mind to spiritual and emotional maturity. So let's review where we've been so far. When you're childish, what do you do? You fix and repair the damage, correct? Right? I know you're taking notes right now. I'll give you a moment to write things down. When you're childish, you, you fix the damage, right? Don't just go on. You fix the damage. And then you make sure that you, what? What's the second thing? You've got to make sure you start putting some reins, okay? Just envision those leather straps on your thinking, okay? Some reins on your mind, redirecting it, okay? And that's the next point. You redirect it to what kind of thinking? See, it's not just enough to know what not to think. You have to know what to think. Did you hear that? In fact, it's more important that you know what to think than it is to know what not to think. Because if you're always focused on what not to do, what you do when you resist something, it just makes it stronger. And so instead of resisting, you replace. That's how, th- that's how your thinking changes. Not by resistance, but by replacement. I'm going to take this thought out. I'm putting the brakes on this thinking. I'm now going to replace this set of thoughts with now a new way of thinking. And so resistance always makes something more powerful. You know it every time you walk by a, a, a door or something where a bench that says, do not touch fresh paint. What do you do? Because there's something about that do not touch that says, I wonder if it's, let me check this out. You always make sure no one's watching, don't you? So it's not do not think this, it's think this. Don't be overcome with evil, but overcome evil with good, okay? So what I want to help you to see for the next few moments is what do, you, what do you replace it with? And the Bible doesn't leave us hanging with this idea of how do we replace it. Notice, in fact, what Ephesians 4, verses 22 through 24 tell, tells us. Throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. That's stopping something. That's throw it off. Get rid of it. Instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes and put on 
your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. And so the emphasis is you put off and then you also put on, okay? So you replace it with something. Now, I want to take you back to a verse that we read a few moments ago, and I want to draw your attention in a more focused way to what the Apostle Paul says in Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23 about the kind of fruit that needs to be in our life. And this fruit will not be there unless you think in these ways. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. There are nine fruit of the Spirit. And this, I believe, is one of, the, one of the best lists that you can ever have for correcting your thinking. Doesn't get any better than this. Because it's exactly, it's taking the reins of your mind when you're going the wrong way and pulling them back over and replacing them with the kind of thoughts that God would want you to have. When you're getting angry and mad and irritated at someone and you're going down that pathway of frustration and anger and even bitterness and resentment, you grab hold of the reins of your mind and you say, nope, not going there. God has called me to live in. What's the first fruit of the Holy Spirit? Love. And so you redirect your mind. What does love look like? How am I going to think so that I can demonstrate love? The second one is joy. When your mind's going the wrong direction that is robbing you of joy, what do you do? You grab hold of that mind and pull it back over and say, let me begin to think about all the things I can be joyful for. Let me start counting my blessings so that I can give praise to God. Let me move out of my grumbling into gratitude. And so, again, what you're doing is you're grabbing the reins of your mind and you're pulling them out of the flesh into the spirit, right? You with me on this? Who's going to do this for you? The Holy Spirit's there to help you, but who has to do the work? You've got to cooperate with it. It's not just going to sit back and say, oh God, I'm so angry, please give me love. No, God says, no, grab your mind and pull it over here and start thinking in ways that will cause you to show the fruit of love. Oh God, all my joy is gone, please give me joy. No, God says, grab hold of the reins and pull it back over here. Start counting your blessings. Start looking at what I'm doing in your life. Stop grumbling and start expressing gratitude. And then suddenly joy begins to happen. Why? Because you put your mind in the right place. That's love, joy, peace. How about things that are robbing you of peace? You grab your mind, pull it over and says, God says, I will keep you in perfect peace if your mind is stayed on me. If you think about me, if you have your mind focused on me, then I will keep you in perfect peace. Now, peace is something that is inner that works its way outwardly, okay? It's where your mind is. Love, joy, peace. What's the next one? Patience. Don't we wish that one was not there, right? But how many times do we get so impatient? I want it now. I want this person to do what I want them to do now. I want this to happen now. This is, I want to make this happen now. God says, no, that's not the way I want you to think. Pull your mind back over here. Well, how do you pull your mind into patience? Just remember how patient God is with you. When you start getting impatient with somebody else, has God been patient with you? Has he? What? Yes, he has. I know some of you, okay? okay. I know me. And God has been so patient with us, hasn't he? I mean, God could have killed us a bunch of times, right? And we would have deserved it, correct? Okay. 
but God has been patient with us. And so we start thinking about the patience of God toward us, and that begins to allow us to think in patient ways toward others. Love, joy, peace, patience. What's the next one? Kindness, okay? Kindness is, an, is a thought before it is an action. You have to think in kind ways. You have to plan kindness. Kindness is a, a thought process. So when you want to be unkind, then you say, okay, what am I going to, how am I going to think in a way that will allow me to say kind words rather than unkind words? You grab the reins of your mind that leads to the reins of your mouth and the reins of your behavior, and you pull it into kindness. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness. Goodness is moral goodness. It's the idea of virtue. The concept is doing what is morally right. And sometimes your mind is going to head toward things that are morally wrong, okay? Things that the Bible call, will call impurity and, and, and sensuality and all these kinds of things that the world would like, the cesspool of the world that, and, and sinful nature that you're wanting to be drawn toward. God says, no, I want, I've called you to have a good way of thinking. I want you to think righteously and good thoughts so you grab your mind and you replace them with right thinking. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness. Faithfulness. What's faithfulness? I'll give you the basic definition of faithfulness. Faithfulness is being trustworthy. That's the idea of being faithful. Somebody can trust me, so I'm going to be a person of integrity, okay? That when I'm, when I'm, when I'm tempted to, 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 to be duplicitous, I'm tempted to, to, to cut corners or to be deceptive or whatever it might be. No, I'm not going to go down that pathway. I'm not going to be a liar. I'm not going to be a deceiver. When I'm tempted along those pathways of thinking, no, I'm going to pull myself back around to a place of being faithful, that is, trustworthy, living my life in a way that I can be trusted. And so that's key. So love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. Gentleness, gentleness, gentleness. The word gentle, we've talked about it before. It's the Greek word praus, and the Greek word praus, go back to the horse illustration that I've talked about before. It's power under control, taking this big, massive animal with all these muscles and be able to correct, use it in a correct way. Gentleness. Gentleness does not, it's meekness is another word for the same concept. One translation uses the word meekness there. The reason I, I don't like that translation of meekness is because in our culture we tend to think of meek as weak, and meekness is not weakness. Meekness is not just letting everybody sort of stamp all over you. No, meekness is having a strength of character and power, but it's under control. It's not just running wild, and so you pull it under and you're gentle. Think about uh, when you've, you've hurt yourself in some way. Maybe you've broken an arm or something or some limb, and you go to a doctor. What kind of doctor do you want to set your bones? Somebody says, oh, let me see that thing. Yeah, it is broken, isn't it? Yep. No. You want someone that handles it gently and resets it gently. Why? Because there, there's a care. There's an awareness of what's going on with you in the process. And that's what gentleness is. It's the ability to be aware of what's going on with other people and to respond to them in ways that is helpful to them but still brings about positive results and restoration. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, gentleness. Self-control. Let me tell you what self-control is. We talked about it a moment ago. It's mastering your passions instead of letting your passions master you. It's the ability to say, you know what? My passions aren't going to drive my life. My emotions aren't going to drive my life. The principles of God's Word, the precepts of God's Word will lead me forward. So our goal is to move from childishness in our thinking to what? To maturity. Our goal is to grow up, right? To grow up. Growing up, what does it involve? We talked about three things today. When you mess up, and we all do, correct? 
when you mess up, what do you do? When you're childish in the way you're, you're thinking and behaving, what do you do? You repair the damage. Okay. okay, let me fix what I just did. I was a kid right then. That was not good. Let me go back and make this right. Do what's necessary. Second thing is you make sure you start putting more reins on your brain. Okay? Just envision those leather straps on your own uh, kind of heading out of your forehead. Okay? And you can just pull your mind where it needs to go. And so once the reins are there, what do you want to do with those reins? You want to redirect your thoughts where? To what kind of thinking? Mature thinking. Let me conclude with this. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Did I get them right? Okay, that's right. Right order. What do you call someone that consistently demonstrates those nine fruit? Other than amazing? Spiritual. Spiritual. You call them a mature Christian. Right? Think about it for a moment. If someone consistently demonstrates love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control... What are they doing? That's the life of who? That's the life of Jesus. That's how he lived his life. And so when that comes out of us, then that is a demonstration of maturity. It's a demonstration that we've made the decision to grow up. Let's pray together right now. Father, thank you so much for your word today. We ask in Jesus' name that you'll take that word and deeply implant it in our hearts. Help us, God, day by day to grow up. Help us when we mess up, Lord, to fix what we need to fix. Help us, Lord, to put those reins on our mind. Help us to redirect our thinking where it needs to be by replacing our thoughts, our unholy thoughts, with holy thoughts, unhealthy thoughts, with healthy thoughts. Thank you that you've given us the power of the Holy Spirit to do it in Jesus' name. Thanks for joining us for today's message. I trust that you've heard something from God's Word that will make a difference in your life now and forever. Maybe as you were listening to today's message, God began to speak to you about a personal relationship with Himself. You know, the most important thing we can ever establish in our life is a relationship with God, and we do that by opening our hearts and lives to Jesus Christ. If you've never invited Jesus into your life, today is your day. It's your opportunity. And I want to lead you in a prayer right now that you can pray that will forever change your life, that will allow your name to be written in the book of life for eternity. All you need to do is simply pray this prayer with me and mean it in your heart. If you'll mean this prayer, God will hear you. The Bible says that whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So would you pray with me right now? Whisper these words to God or speak them out right where you are. Say, Jesus, just mention his name. Say, Jesus, I admit to you today that, that I am a sinner and I'm sorry, God, for everything I've done wrong. Jesus, I believe in you. I believe you are God's Son, the Savior, the Redeemer. I thank you that you died on the cross for me and that you rose again. I believe in you, Jesus. And then whisper this prayer. Say, Lord, today I invite you to come into my life, to forgive me of my sins, to give me a brand new start in you. I give my life to you today in Jesus' name. Lord, I thank you for those that prayed that prayer with me and I ask that now they would continue to grow in you and serve you faithfully from this day forward. In Jesus' name. If you just prayed that prayer with me, friend, I want you to know that Jesus Christ heard you, that your name has been written in that wonderful book of life, and that now today you start a brand new life in Christ. 
And to do so, you need some help. You need to learn how to live your life for Jesus every day. We'd like to provide for you. In fact, we have available for you some resources that you can get from our website, church-redeemer.org, that will help you to get a good start in your relationship with Jesus Christ. So again, check out the website, church-redeemer.org. Find those resources that will help you to get going in your relationship with Jesus. If you've prayed with the pastor today and made a decision to follow Jesus Christ, we have some resources for you on our website. Just go to www.church-redeemer.org slash new beginnings. We pray that this message was a blessing to you.